The world today has found a great darkness between itself and the real character of Jesus Christ. And my friends, we want this at this hour to form a new concept and present a new image of Jesus Christ and the, save, and the Father in heaven. And the text of scripture is John 17, verse 3. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. To know God is to know that he is eager to answer our prayers. Said Jesus in Luke 11:13, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Matthew has recorded him as saying he is he will give good gifts unto them. Just like a father except infinitely deeper is his love, more tender is his compassion. Some time ago, there was a minister and his wife in the city of Boston, Massachusetts. It was in the dead of winter, and there was a deep, angry blizzard on. They had a little 18-month-old daughter who had come down with a fever. Her fever lasted for four days, the same length of time as the blizzard. During these four days, she ate nothing. As the blizzard subsided, her fever let up. And she weakly got out of bed and wobbled over to mommy. Her hunger had returned, and she looked up in the face of her mommy, and she said, Mommy, apple, A-P-P-L-E, apple. And mother knew there wasn't an apple in the house. What would she do? So mother turned in the direction of, of daddy. And as she turned in the direction of daddy, the little girl's eyes followed her mother's gaze over to daddy. And the thought came to her. Maybe daddy has an apple. So she wobbled over to daddy, placing one hand on one of daddy's knees and the other on the other. She looked up into daddy's face and she said, daddy, apple. Daddy knew there wasn't an apple in the house, but friends, he was her father. He determined that he'd get an apple for that daughter. But the blizzard had left the snow waist deep. You can't walk through snow like that. You can't wade through it. You have to wallow on all fours to get through snow like that. He put on his heaviest winter garments. He went out and braved the snow, wallowing on and on, huffing and puffing, all exhaustedly, until he found one apple. Where he got it, I don't know. Then he made his way back, going through all of that suffering. And when he entered the house, he handed his little daughter an apple. Someone said, why would he go through all of that? sacrifice for one apple. It wasn't for one apple. It was for one daughter. She was his daughter. He was her daddy. Jesus said, if you who are evil will bring good gifts and give them to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give to those who ask? Our father is eager to come to our rescue, friends. This is the kind of a savior we have. If perhaps you still question, then look to Calvary. In Romans 8, 32, it says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The God that gave his son to die such an ignominious death on Calvary is interested in you and me, dear friends. In fact, we read in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, 
to show himself strong in behalf of him who is perfect or is looking sincerely to him for a favor. Our God is eager to come to our rescue. He's eager to answer our prayers. I think I hear someone saying, but Brother Kuhn, if God is so eager to come to my rescue and answer my prayers, how is it that some of the prayers I have offered have never been answered? Perhaps the best answer would be to tell you about an experience we had. We have a daughter. Her name is Juanita. We call her Nita for short. One day she, when she was just a little tyke, I went in the front room and our daughter was in process of placing in her mouth a Gillette safety razor blade. My heart sank. And then a happy thought came to me. She'll do what she sees you do. She'll never close her mouth on that razor blade if you smile broadly. And so I smiled at my daughter and I opened my mouth and I said, Nita, Nita. And I saw that razor blade teetering right on her tongue as she smiled and looked at her daddy very slowly. I walked toward her saying, Nita, Nita. And I placed my thumb and finger in her mouth oh so slowly and slipped that razor blade right out of her mouth. And when I got it out, I said, Juanita, it'll cut you all up. And she went, oh. friends, why did I deprive my daughter of a razor blade? It was because I had something better. I knew the razor blade would only cut her to pieces. I knew her basic need, her basic request for, was for food. She got the food. Our Father in heaven is very eager to come to our rescue. But many times in our humanness, we ask for razor blade requests, answers. And God is too wise and too loving to give us razor blade soup or razor blade sandwiches or razor blade answers to prayer. Aren't you glad? The second thing I'd like to present to you regarding our Lord is he's truthful. In, these, in this series of studies, we're dealing with his promises. His word contains at least 3,573 promises or clusters of promises. Now, when we think of claiming the promises of our Lord, there's one thing we want to be absolutely certain of. You know what that is? We want to be certain that God is truthful. And the Bible says he is. Numbers 23, 19 is one of the many, many statements of Scripture that presents our God as truthful. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent, that is, change his mind. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away. My word shall not pass away. The writer of the book of Hebrews said, by two immutable things by which it was impossible for God to lie, we have strong consolation. God cannot lie. I'm thinking of an experience that a lady had as she came to a minister for help. She said, Pastor, I have a problem. I have a deep problem. It has bothered me for many years. I wonder if you can help me. The pastor said, I would be delighted. What is the problem? She said, my problem is forgiveness. She said, for years, 
I've asked the Lord to forgive me, and I cannot find forgiveness. Right away, of course, the pastor thought of a text that's familiar to nearly all of us Christians. 1 John 1, 9. The promise is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the pastor opened his Bible to 1 John 1, 9. He said, I have the solution, sister. Here it is. If you confess your sins, he has promised to forgive you and to cleanse you. Have you confessed your sins? She said, I certainly have, Pastor, for 40 years, hundreds of times. Well, he said, then God has promised to forgive you, hasn't he? Well, yes. Do you believe his promise? Yes. You believe the Bible? Yes. Well, then, since you've confessed your sins, and he promises if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. You're forgiven, aren't you? Let's kneel in prayer. And let us ask God in prayer to forgive you and cleanse you as he's promised. So they knelt. He asked God to forgive our sins according to his promise. He believed God. He returned thanks that God had kept his word. And as they rose from their knees, with a smile on his face, he said, Sister, now you are forgiven. But you should have seen her expression, clouded with doubt. She said, Pastor, that's what I came to see you about. I've never had forgiveness. I've struggled for 40 long years. He said, Sister, do you believe the Bible? Didn't you tell me you believe the Bible? She said, I believe every word of it. Didn't you tell me you believe 1 John 1, 9? She said, Pastor, I certainly do. Well, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You've confessed your sins? Pastor, I've confessed my sins for 40 years, hundreds of times. You know, the pastor was almost nonplussed. I imagine about that time he must have asked the Lord for wisdom. What would you do to a person who professes to believe the Bible, who professes to love the Lord, and yet doesn't? How are you going to go about effecting some kind of a change? And the Holy Spirit impressed him with this. Sister, he said, have you confessed all of your sins? She said, so far as I know. He said, if the Holy Spirit pointed out <clears throat> one sin that you have not confessed, would you confess that sin? She said, Pastor, I most certainly would. He said, Sister, what about, what about that scripture? 1 John 5, 10. It says, He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. How about you're asking God to forgive you for having made God a liar for 40 years? He tried to mellow his voice. He tried to, to, to look kindly into her countenance so that he would not discourage her. Don't you think it would be well for you to ask God to forgive you for having made him a liar for 40 years? And the Holy Spirit quickened her thinking. Pastor, she said, let us get down on my, our knees. I'm going to ask God to forgive me. I have made him a liar for 40 years. As she was on her knees, 
she cried out, Oh, God, please forgive me for having made you a liar. You don't lie, dear Lord. Forgive me for making you a liar. And then she said, Pastor, now will you pray with me? I can ask God to forgive me. I can believe it because I believe him and he will not lie. And I'm going to receive forgiveness. And they prayed as her voice was choked with tears. When they rose from their knees, she said, Pastor, <clears throat> she said, I'm so happy. I have received forgiveness. But she said, isn't it sad? I could have had forgiveness 40 years ago. And think of it. I've wasted 40 years, but at least I'm happy now in his forgiveness and his cleansing. My friends, let's not make God a liar. Let us remember that God is truthful. He will keep his word. I was speaking on this subject some time ago at a camp meeting. Among those in the auditorium was a medical doctor. After the study was over, he stepped out of that auditorium, walked over to our book and Bible house, just a few hundred feet away, and he engaged a minister in conversation. He said, Pastor, I have just come out from a meeting where I've received the shock of my life, as far as spiritual things is concerned. The pastor said, what in the world is that? He said, I just learned that for 20 years, I, a Christian, have been making God a liar. I've been asking God to forgive my sins. I've been asking him to cleanse me from all iniquity, and I haven't believed it. And here I am, a professed Christian, a worker in the church, and I have been making God a liar. The pastor turned to him and he said, Doctor, what are you going to do now? The doctor said, Brother, from now on I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe that I am forgiven because I am, according to his promise. I'm going to believe that I'm his child because he's promised me that I'm his child through simple trust and faith. And I shall never disbelieve God again and never make him a liar again. My friends, thank the Lord for that. God is eager to answer our prayers. But he will either give us what we ask for or always something better. God doesn't say to our prayers, no, period. There are a lot of people who will say, you know, God sometimes says yes. He sometimes says, wait, and he sometimes says, no. My friends, it isn't true. God does sometimes say, yes. God does sometimes say, wait, but God, follow me, God never says no, period, to his believing child. He does sometimes say, no, comma. You know what the difference between no, period, and no comma is? The period is the end of the sentence. The comma indicates there's something to follow. When you and I come to our Heavenly Father and we make a request, he never said, no, I'm not going to do it. He may say, I'm not going to give you the razor blade, but I'm going to give you the food which was your basic request anyway. And we'll say, thank you, Lord. Oh, you could have given me an answer that would have cut me all up. But instead of that, you supplied the hunger of my soul. 
the need of my spirit, the longing of my heart. What a wonderful Savior. Now I'd like you to notice the third point in prayer. It is this. God does demand one thing from us. He demands us to bring to him childlike faith. Said Jesus in Matthew 18, verse 3, except you become like little children. You shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. You know what kind of faith a little child has? Let me tell you an, uh, an experience of two little tykes, two little girls, just little fellows. Maybe they're five and five and a half. I don't know what they were arguing about, but it was one of these tis-so-tate-so arguments that little kiddies have so often, you know. And one makes a statement, and the other said, taint-so, you know. Well, the one little girl made the statement, and her little friend, sure enough, said, taint-so. Whereupon the first little girl expressed disappointment. She turned to her little friend. She said, it is so, too, because mommy said it's so. But her mommy wasn't the other girl's mommy. And the other girl didn't know her mommy. So the other girl said, hmm, still taint so. And by this time, the first little girl was really upset, as she should have been. She turned her little friend and she said, look here, it is so too, for what mommy says is so, even if it taints so, so there. Ah, friends, that's God. And that's what he wants of us, to approach him in the simplest, most childlike trust and confidence and faith. And when the devil says it isn't so, we say, Satan, listen. What God says is so, even though you say it isn't so. And Satan said, but it can't take place because circumstances will not permit. You say, Satan, what the Lord says is so, regardless of circumstances. The God I serve is the God of circumstances. He controls circumstances. He screens all problems before he presents them or lets them come to me. Now, my friends, the fourth point that I think we should be sure to remember is God is not merely eager to answer our prayers. He's not merely truthful. He not merely wants us to come to him in childlike faith, but he is creator powerful. When God spoke his promises, each one of these promises contains the gift that he speaks. For instance, in Genesis, the first chapter, in the first verse, we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now, everything was dark. And God said, let there be light. Now, when God said light, what happened? <laughs> light flashed into existence. Light was in the promise of light. God is light. And when he said, light, you exist. Light existed. Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, all the host of them, by the breath of his mouth. He spake, and it was. He commanded, it stood fast. So when God speaks and names a thing that does not exist, immediately it does exist. In Romans, the fourth chapter, in the 17th verse, it says, God calleth those things that be not as though they were. 
Putting Romans 4.17 together with Psalm 33, 6 and 9, we have this. Something that does not exist, the moment God calls it, it comes into existence. This is the way God hears and answers our prayer. He makes a promise. The creative power of our creator himself is in his promise. The gift is there. The solution is there. Let me give you an experience of the ABCs of claiming God's promises. Some time ago, my wife and I had the privilege of conducting a series of meetings in a certain city. There was a young professional man and his wife in attendance. They were lovely people. They had recently made a wonderful commitment to the Lord Jesus. During this series of meetings, they invited us to take dinner at their home. As we visited with them, there was no question in our mind regarding their dedication to the Lord. During that series of meetings, we presented the science of prayer, as we are in this series. We presented the ABCs of claiming Bible promises. A is ask, Matthew 7, 7. B is believe, Mark 11, 24. C is to thank God we've received, John 11:41. We gave case history after case history, illustration after illustration, example after example during that series. And oh, how blessed this young doctor and his wife were. They were young, about 40. <laughs> young for me. About a year later, we returned again across the continent, and this time we conducted a series of meetings about 20 miles away from this doctor's home. Sure enough, the first night, they were there at the church, and we were thrilled to renew our acquaintance. After we chatted a little bit, the doctor called me to one side and in a, almost a whisper, he said, Pastor, we have a little problem and I wonder if you'd help us. I said, yes, I shall be happy to. Tomorrow night, right after the meeting, we'll meet you in the pastor's study. Could you brief me in a little bit so I can pray intelligently, the idea, between now and tomorrow night? He said, yes. He said, my, my wife, has become infatuated with a 20-year-old man. Now, he said, it's my own fault. And I want you to notice this, my friends. In salvaging a soul, it's wonderfully important that we be humble. He said, it's my own fault. He said, I was so busy with my practice, and then I was busy with hobbies and my church work, pathfinders, mowing the lawn, and a number of things. He said that I did not give my wife the companionship that I should have. It's not her fault, Pastor. I said, Doctor, we'll see you tomorrow night. The next night, I stepped into the study after the meeting was over. And I started right in with prayer. That is, I said, we'll pray. But I said, before we pray, I want to share with you a promise found in Hebrews, the second chapter, verses 14 and 15. I knew they understood the ABCs of prayer already. They'd heard so many of the examples a year before. So I thought, let's go right into the answer. So I said, here is a promise. You know the ABCs. It says here in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, that God will deliver a person, though all his lifetime he's been in that habit of sin. I said, you've only been in this habit, sister, for, for, for six months. 
And the God that could deliver a person who's been in that habit for 40 years could certainly deliver a person who's been in for six months. And I made a gesture as though we would kneel. The dear soul, she looked into my face and she said, Pastor, I don't seem to have any faith. I said, look, don't worry about your lack of faith. Jesus said, as recorded in Matthew 18, 19, if two agree, it'll be done. You agree, don't you, doctor, that she'll be delivered? He said, I do. I said, and I, I agree. The two of us agree. You're going to be delivered. The lady repeated her fears and her lack of faith, I believe, a half a dozen times. Every time I kept assuring her, you're going to be delivered. Rest your faith on us. For Jesus said, if two of us agree, it'll be done. Don't worry about your lack of faith. Finally, she condescended to kneel. And the doctor prayed out an ABC prayer. Lord, I ask you to deliver my wife. I believe you're doing it, Lord, because you promised. Thank you. I have received. I then prayed the same prayer. In effect, Lord, together, two of us are agreeing that you're delivering her. We're believing it. We're claiming it. Thank you that our sister is delivered in Jesus' name. Amen. We rose to our feet. I shook her hand. I said, Sister, you are set free. Jesus said, If the Son shall set you free, you will be free indeed. John 8, 36. You're free. The lady almost trembled. She didn't know what to say. I shook her hand. I said, We'll see you tomorrow night. The next night before the meeting took place, when only about a half a dozen people, maybe 15, were in the sanctuary, I came in early. The doctor's wife were sitting all by themselves. I walked up in front of the pew and the lady bounded to her feet, threw her arms around me. She said, Pastor, I'm completely delivered. Let me tell you how I know. I tried to think of that young man repeatedly. Since you prayed, I can't even think of him. She said, now I'm so happy. I am free. I'm delivered. I thank God and I thank you. Friends, God is eager to come to our rescue. God is truthful. We must bring to him childlike faith, and he will create the solution. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.